Welcome to another podcast from Generations Church. We trust you will be encouraged today. Over the next couple of three weeks, actually, I think I have three weeks uh, before Pastor Frank, or maybe it's just two. I have no idea. Vision Sunday is coming. I'm super excited about that. And after Vision Sunday, we're going to go back into a new series. But I do have a few standalone messages, and I want to talk next week. Really provocative, really high-risk message. It's called Women Up Front. I want to I offer an apologetic stance on women in ministry, um, not because I'm sorry, but because I think we need to understand the whole context of Scripture, not two verses. Um, and so we're going to be talking about that. Um, I, I would also like to talk with you, if I can make time before our next series starts, to actually talk to you about like, what exactly is church. Because there is a whole lot of misconception out there. There's people that, you know, churches, we have church so people can come get saved. That's not entirely true. We have, we have church to equip the saints. Well, that's not true all by itself. We have church to minister to God. That's not true all by itself. But all three are actually very much the reality. So that's a whole message in and of itself. But today... Um, I want to talk to you about, well, the title of the message, now forgive me, I know Doug has one thing, I know Tyler has another, I have something else, uh, how to avoid disaster in a busy world, and um, yeah, well, only one, Amy wants to avoid disaster, <laughs> Pastor Amy's like, that's me, I told her we should get real this morning, we should really, you know, faith service, she should throw the boot and the crutches away, maybe handle some snakes. And uh, we get right up Pentecostal, and she'll run back and forth across the stage. And we laugh about that, but actually her sister, Alicia, got radically healed at Bible camp this summer. She needed, yeah, it's, it's, praise God, it's so exciting. Alicia needed knee surgery because her knees were totally ruined. And when she went and saw the surgeon, the surgeon says, this doesn't happen. If you come to see me, it's because we're booking surgery, and you don't need surgery anymore. That's incredible, isn't it? So... God is good. God is healing people. The Jesus that healed the blind and raised the dead, his spirit and his person is present and real in our lives today. And, uh, and that's why we come together. And so I want to just talk to you today. I'll give you, I'm going to jump right to the end at the beginning, if that's okay with you. So how to, uh, once again, how to avoid, because my notes say survive. And I think we could just use survive and avoid disaster probably interchangeably for the purposes of the message, but in a busy world. Um, here's the answer. Rest. Okay, let's go home. Worship team, come back up. If you want to receive Jesus this morning, come. Let us talk with you. Right? Well, okay, it's a little more complicated than that. And uh, only because we complicate it. I think in, the, in just the purest sense, if we could really grasp that and, and let the Holy Spirit lead us, I think we'd get there. But basically, the answer of how to survive or how to avoid a disaster, uh, catastrophe, the end of all things in a busy world. And you might think right off the bat, well, that seems a little dramatic, Pastor Trapp. Well, it's actually not dramatic. Suicide is at an all-time high in North America. Did you know that coming out of the pandemic, it used to be about one in five people would deal with depression and suicidal thoughts. We are now at one in two people. One in two people. That means every second person that you work with potentially has been dealing with thoughts of just ending their life because they can't cope. We are not surviving. We are not dealing with the busyness of life the concerns and the worries. And you know what? God has always had the same answer for us. Rest. Rest in Him. Cease striving. Be still and know that I am God, He says in one place. And we'll get to that a little more in a moment. So there's a lot going on in the life of a Christian today. 
We, we, are, we, we have kids, we have sports to chase, we have young lives to try and live even though we're well into our 40s. We have knees and hips to be replaced. We have, we, we have grandchildren being born, some of you. We have babies being born, some of you. Life is busy, life is full, and life is so good. But it can be really easy to get overwhelmed by all the things we can do. It can get really easy to be overwhelmed by the technology that we have that makes many things very easy. And then we fail to realize that it actually still draws virtue from us, even though it doesn't make us sweat. And see, back in the old days, it was a little different because you walked everywhere you went. And, and uh, we, re- we, we did a great book a few years ago. I preached a few messages on rest out of it called How to Get Your Life Back. And, and if you want to look up that title and read that book, it will not be a mistake. Because we are actually designed to move at the speed of walking. Humanity was designed by God to go three and a half miles an hour. That, that's it. And what do we do? We, well, we live life at the speed of popcorn in three and a half minutes. And that's not good for you, by the way. Microwave popcorn apparently is really, really bad for you. So stop eating it, my family especially. Um, Amy makes great popcorn the old-fashioned way with some oil and a pan on the stove. And it's much, much better. And it's much less uh, carcinogenic-y. Anyways, all the things. That's another conversation for conspiracy theorists in another time. Um, (laughs) So listen. Listen. What we see in the church today around rest, specifically around the idea of Sabbath, is we see actually a lot of movement. There's people who call themselves reformers right now who who believe they are reforming the church and they're moving the church back to something it was uh, in the days of the early church. But really what they're doing is they're just simply reforming the church back to a religion that existed in the 50s. Um, and in other places, I mean, it's very convoluted. It's very weird, some of the things we're seeing these days. And so we have, we have Christians who are literally trying to keep the Sabbath. Like, you get to Saturday, and it's like nothing happens. You don't do anything. You have to remind yourself that Jesus said, if an ox or your son falls into a well on the Sabbath, surely you're going to go get him out. Um, and we battle, we battle with that. We have, we have people who, who don't rest at all. Well, it's new. I'm a New Testament Christian. I don't believe in rest. I don't do rest. I don't take part in rest. Well, that's dumb. Um, and, and, and it's very easy to see the price that is paid for that. We'll, we'll talk about what the Bible has to say in a moment here. Um, and then we have all kinds of hybrids in the middle of that. Uh, we have uh, an older philosophy, maybe more Baptist charismatic type movements that somehow the, that Sunday morning specifically replaced the day of rest, it replaced the Sabbath. And, and so it might leave you asking the question, why and what? Like, what's the right thing to do? Why is it hard? So we're going to attempt to unpack that today uh, in the next uh, half hour or so. So the basic problem, as it begins for us, is in the Ten Commandments, where we have this commandment to remember the Sabbath and keep us holy. That's Exodus 20, verse 8. Now, at the beginning, I'm just going to throw some scripture at you. You're, it's your responsibility to read your Bible Right? Somebody say amen to that. It is not your pastor's responsibility to read you the Bible. It's your responsibility. You're a big boy. You can handle a fork and a knife, right? You can do this yourself. You can read the scripture. And listen, don't go off being a lone ranger because the scripture was designed by God to be received in community. So you don't get to just go step out all by yourself and say, I'm a big boy. I can digest the word of God all. No, you can't. You actually can't digest the Word of God all on your own because you actually don't even know how to pray, the Bible says. 
You can't even talk to God the right way, let alone understand his word without the person of the Holy Spirit bringing revelation into your life. So what are we to do with that? Well, that, maybe that's another message for another time even. I'm going to say a lot of things today that could leave a great big question mark. And I just want you to remember that we actually talk about these things all the time. And you might actually have to go back and look on the podcast or YouTube and, and you can go and find the messages that we've, we've talked through before that will help. You know, it's kind of like uh, an appendix for what we're talking about today. All right. Um, so Exodus 28, remember the Sabbath, keep it holy. And it's a serious command. That serious command was so serious that it even resulted in the death penalty for a man in the book of, uh, in the book of Numbers 15, 32 to 36 who was gathering sticks on the Sabbath. Just gathering a little firewood on the Sabbath. And the people said, I don't think you're allowed to do that. And they had a discussion. And Moses says, I don't know what we're supposed to do. I'm going to inquire of the Lord. And when he inquired of the Lord, the decision came out that the man should be put to death. Okay, so basically at this point, all the church people are really, really scared that if we don't honor the Sabbath, according to the Old Testament, that God would say we should die. Now, here's what I need you to pay attention to. We've talked about this before. I would like you to appreciate, understand, and know with confidence that everything in the Old Testament, in its principle, applies to New Testament life in Christ. Not the, form, not the, not the literal formative measure of following the law, but everything that the law taught, because the Bible says the law was our teacher, and we were adopted, we were placed under foster care of the law until such a time as Jesus came. So everything that the law teaches in principle guides us into truth who is revealed in Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life. And it's important that you keep this in your understanding, because otherwise you're going to become a one-verse wonder, and you're going to constantly, like, like a reed, be blown between doctrines and ideologies and, and, and people's opinions, and it's going to be disastrous for you. All scripture is God breathed. All scripture is useful for teaching and rebuking and training. All scripture must be interpreted by scripture. Okay, so that, that's the truth of context in the word of God. You never get to just take one verse. Like even Jesus wept, the shortest verse in the whole Bible, there's actually context in the surrounding verses and in other chapters that help us understand that. You say, well, what does that mean? Jesus wept. Well, Hebrews says that we have a high priest that identifies with every weakness. And we know that because Jesus understood what it was to cry and be heartbroken because someone died. Just one little example of how Scripture must interpret Scripture. Because otherwise Jesus wept because he had sand in his eyes from his walk. Okay, understand what I'm saying. It's a bit of an exaggeration, but just understand what I'm saying. Pay attention close, because I am talking today at 1.5, which is where my wife actually likes to listen to audiobooks, so that's why we're doing it this way. All right, so um, how serious does God take the Sabbath? Well, he also commanded a Sabbath rest, and when Israel ignored the Sabbath rest, among other many wicked things, and guys, you'll remember some of those things from, Man from Manfred's last week, Josiah had to do a lot of damage control in his reign as king, uh, and, and that was just before Babylonian captivity. But the Bible actually says that the reason Israel was taken into Babylonia, uh, Babylonian captivity was so that the land could endure its Sabbath rest. You can read about that in Leviticus 26 and 2 Chronicles 36. The point of that all being that God absolutely takes the Sabbath seriously. God takes the idea of holy rest incredibly seriously. 
And here's the thing that people miss when they get religious about it. God does not take it so seriously because he rested. God doesn't actually take it seriously because you and I need to rest. God takes it seriously because in the revelation of Jesus, in the appearing of Jesus, he presents us with the absolute perfect version of rest. Jesus is rest. What, why, why do we say that? Because Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary, who are heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. I don't know some of you, but I know some religious people who have become messianic, and there's nothing wrong with messianic Christians and nothing at all. There's nothing wrong with prioritizing a day of the week because you feel that's right or because you believe it's right. There's, I'm not preaching against that. I'm just saying I know some people who formatively adapt their life to a religious structure and a religious system and they have no rest. They have no peace because they still haven't come to the master of peace. They haven't come to the prince of peace. So understand this. I want to just, I want to read to you because when we struggle through this, like, well, is it the Sabbath and what about Saturday and did Sunday and, and you get all confused and, and, and Pastor Travis said this and Robert Morris said this and this other guy said this and all the reels that I watch on Instagram say this. Well, let's just jump to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4, 1 to 11. I'm going to just, just fly through this. God's promise of entering his rest still stands. Someone say Amen. Okay, so we ought to tremble with fear that some of you might fail to experience it, speaking of that rest. For this good news, that God has prepared this rest, has been announced to us just as it was to them, but it did them no good because they didn't share the faith of those who listened to God. For only we who believe can enter his rest. For only we who believe can enter his rest. As for the others, God said, in my anger I took an oath. They will never enter my place of rest. Even though this rest has, already, has been already since he made the world, we know it is already because of the place in the scriptures where it mentions the seventh day. On the seventh day, God rested from all his work. But in the other passage, God says, they will never enter my place of rest. So God's rest is there for people to enter. But those who first heard the good news failed to enter because they disobeyed God. Now, this is, this, is, this is the explanation by the Holy Spirit of God as to why we differentiate. Are you, I, I, read this for yourself this week. So God's rest is there for the people who, to enter, for the people to enter, but those who first heard the good news failed to enter because they disobeyed God. So God sent another time for entering his rest, and that time is today. God announced this through David much later in the words already quoted. Today, when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Now, if Joshua had succeeded in giving them his rest, the people of God, God would have not spoken about another day of rest still to come. So there is a special rest still waiting for the people of God. For all who have entered into God's rest have rested from their labors, just as God did after creating the world. Now let me read that to you again because I don't want you to throw away the principle of rest. What it says in verse 10, for all who have entered into God's rest have rested from their labors just as God did after creating the world. Hit pause for a second and realize how powerful that is. When you enter the rest of God that is talking about in Hebrews chapter 4, you're entering the same kind of rest God did after creating the world. Yeah, you kind of glazed over that, didn't you? Even in Bible college, some of you. Blah, 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 blah. Wow. 
just as God did after creating the world. Verse 11, so let us do our best to enter that rest. Now I just have to hit pause here again. Do you mean, Pastor Trav, are you saying that God says we have to do something to enter rest? I am not saying it. Hebrews chapter 4 is saying it. It says, let us do our best. Let us put forward our best effort. Let us make every effort to enter that rest. Because if we obey God as the people of Israel did, we will fall. Well, I just don't see it. Look around you. Statistically, the person sitting beside you is suicidal if you're not. Just statistically. I'm not, I'm not prophesying. I'm not speaking that as truth. Statistically, right now. And on our best day a few years ago, it was still one in five. My family is a family of six. That means one in one-fifth of us are suicidal at any given time. And you need to hear this, these verses through, through the 11th verse. And then you need to understand what it says next. Because what it says next in verse 12 and 13 absolutely is connected to your understanding of verses 1 through 11. Here's what it says in verse 12. For the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes, and he is the one to whom we are accountable. Take those last two verses and allow them to rule over the first 11. That's what context is. And we use that. Well, God's word is sharper than any two-edged sword dividing between joint and marrow and soul and spirit. We say it for all kinds of things. But the Bible is saying it about this issue about, of, of rest. And I don't know if you've tried this, but I've been trying to be a good rester for a long time because I've had a couple of near nervous breakdowns or actual nervous breakdowns. I have experienced burnout more than one time in my life. And it's not fun. So I, too, have struggled with this, with sweat and tears and sometimes probably even a little bit of blood. Because when you're tired, you do stupid things. And you, and you bleed sometimes. And you need to understand that you will be accountable to God for how you rest. You'll be accountable to the principles of his word. And I will tell you this, you will see the fruit or the lack of fruit in your life when you're doing it his way. It's a guarantee. So what is the rest? Well, the rest is Jesus. The rest is Jesus. The rest is the promises that he has made. I will never leave you or forsake you. Behold, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. The promises of God that are yes and amen, that is his rest. Psalm 4620 is the verse that always comes to mind for me. Cease striving, be still, and know that I am God. Well, I did for five minutes. No, 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 no. You need to rest on that. You need to cease striving. How do we do that? What do we do 
What, what does the process of rest actually require of us if we're supposed to do our best to enter it? Now, I hope at this point you're with me and you're tracking. You're like, you're right. It is kind of confusing. Like, how, 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 how do we do that? Cease striving and rest, but then make every effort to enter rest? Hmm. I know it seems like a contradiction, but in truth, it's a dichotomy that actually holds things together. Are you aware that's what happens in Scripture? Oftentimes, when you see things that might appear to be a contradiction, what it actually is, it's doing, it's actually the tension that ties two things together as one thing. God's book is not an accident. And it's not the summation of the thoughts of men. How do we rest actually requires the word of God and the spirit of God leading us in his word. It actually requires what I'm going to call spiritual surgery. Because there's things Alex does that are actually forbidden for me to do. He's a king, I'm a priest. There are things that God calls him to do that I am never to touch. And I'm not talking about unholy things. It's not like, oh yeah, Alex is called to look at porn and I'm not. That's, it's, that's ridiculous. He's called to rob banks. I'm not. It's not like that at all. But can you understand that what God has given for me to do is something that is off limits for you to try and do? And what Ed is called to do, if I try to do what Ed is called to do, then I am actually breaking, I'm actually breaking my, my role and I'm breaking out of my lane, the metron of God's grace that he's put around my life. And we do this all the time as human beings. People strive. Well, that's really working well for him. I'm going to do that. No, you should do the thing that God has told you to do. I don't know what to do. I can't make sense. Well, then get into community with healthy people who can prophesy and speak into your life and read the scripture over you and help you understand discipleship and what it means to become more like Jesus. That's how you know. It takes time over time, which coincidentally is what we define as relationship in this church. Always and forever, relationship is time over time. Can't have it without that. So, spiritual surgery, the dividing of soul and spirit, joint and marrow. We need God's word for that. It's been taught on before. I'll teach on it again. Uh, so, I'm just going to try to give you a summary <laughs> of what we do with it. We absolutely believe in the principle of rest in this church. We do not overschedule you in this church. We do not run ministries every night of the week in this church. We really want to build a building on the land we bought so our setup crews don't have to keep putting in extra hours. It's only $5 million, guys. We'll get there. Shameless plug for the building fund. We absolutely believe in rest. And so we believe in not busying ourselves unnecessarily. See, it divides us we believe in it because it divides us from those who are slaves. That's why we believe in rest. I don't believe in rest because I love laying in bed. At my age, when I lay in bed too long, everything hurts. <laughs> Some of you are like, I know it, brother. It's, it's me. Some of you know what I'm talking about. And then there are those glorious moments once in a while where I sleep till like 8 o'clock in the morning. Wow. It's amazing if that ever happens. We believe in it because it's a sign that we're no longer slaves. It reminds us that God brought Israel out of slavery in Deuteronomy 5, 14 and 15. And in the context of the New Testament, we should remember that Jesus did the same thing at the cross. He brought us out of slavery to sin. He brought us out of that land. 
And when we don't rest in the principle, we will die in the principle. As surely as that man who gathered sticks on the Sabbath was put to death, in principle, when you forsake rest, when you, when you don't make the effort to enter into Jesus, into that rest that he promised, principally, you're going to experience death in your life somewhere. You're going to experience the death of vision, the death of dreams, the death of your health. Heart disease is an all-time high, and it's, it's probably actually not because of, of, uh, of, of viruses and, and vaccines. I mean, it could just as well be the fact that you all are stressed right out, spinning your wheels and going nowhere, eating too many salty foods, right? We all have these little glorious one-sentence solutions, and I feel like the Holy Spirit is saying, no, 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 no. Come back to the principle God says, come back to the principle that I want to show you, son. It's a great thing to live a life with the right principles. We are not required to be slaves to one day or another. As Jesus said, the Sabbath was made for man. It wasn't that man was made for the Sabbath. So we're not required to be slaves to a certain day. But in wisdom, we should read the Bible and understand that we are healthy when we slow down and take the time to just be in God's presence, to just be in God's word, to just be in fellowship with God's people, to just be as a family. When I take a day to rest, just trying to unpack it quickly, it's a lot more about what I don't do than what I do. When I take a day of rest, it's good to get filled up. And even though many of you are okay at taking a day, I think that you're missing a couple of things. So I want to try to undo a couple of misconceptions really quickly as well here this morning. First of that is that Sunday has not become the Sabbath. And I think this was a, a bigger deal when I was a kid. I remember one time as a teenager, we were playing softball. And actually, we were technically practicing softball for an upcoming interchurch tournament. And there were some very religious people uh, that were around that uh, decided that that was a very sinful thing for us to do, to play softball on Sunday. Yeah, I know a few people are like, yeah, good grief, <laughs> all those people. It's pretty easy to fall into, though. Because Sunday is a day the church should gather. We worship Jesus. We, we fellowship together. It's great. Night church used to be a thing, man. I, I fell asleep many nights on a wooden pew or under it. In the presence of God, I'll never, ever, ever... Take that for granted. Because those times in the presence of God are part of what makes me who I am today. And it's good for your kids and it's good for you. My grandfather on my mom's side who loved Jesus passionately for as long as I was alive, well, longer, long as my mom and my aunt and everybody was alive, uh, he was the one who would pray for us. I'd wake up at his house five in the morning and hear him praying in Norwegian, praying in tongues, praying in English. I heard my name mentioned many times as I would lay there in the early morning hours hearing him pray in his big red chair. My granddad would never, ever, ever get on a piece of farm equipment on a Sunday. But you know what I, what I figured out about him? It wasn't because he was religious. It's actually just because he loved the people of God. And he wanted his family to be in church. And he was one of those guys that walked around. You've got to understand this. This was way back in the day when $5 was a big deal. He was one of those guys who would walk around with a 5 or 10 or maybe a 20. And he would slip it into people's hands and he would slip it into 
the hand of a whatever college student or guest ministry that was coming through. Like he just wanted to bless God's people. He actually understood what Sunday was for. To be in community, to have himself filled, to become a better disciple of Jesus, but also to bless others and most importantly to bless God. And that's a whole other message in itself. But he never did get on the combine or the tractor on a Sunday, and every year he brought his crops in. Um, Sunday's a tough day for me, if I were to call it a Sabbath. It's not. Man, I'm, like, I'm sweaty up here right now. You might not see it, but I'm sweaty. And um, I'm not resting when I do this. And those of you who preach understand, those of you who have preached understand, it's not restful. I don't rest on the Sunday, and neither do many of you, though. Why? Because we come to serve. We, come, we, we came here to serve. We came here to bless God. We came here to bless our brothers and sisters in Christ, and that is a great reason to come to church. In fact, it might be the most important reason to come to church, to bless God and to bless someone who stands and worships beside you today. We come to serve, and that is the pattern that Jesus came in. For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And if you want to be the greatest in God's kingdom, learn to be the servant of all. Shameful plug for next Sunday's message. Oh, I can't wait. Have you ever thought about this fact? The early church, largely made up of slaves and servants. Like that was the majority it was not the unseen or the, the invisible minority. It was the visible majority. People were in indentured servitude or actually just slaves with no choice or desire or will of their own. That's the culture that the gospel is born into. And it's sad for me to see North America tearing itself apart over the issue of slavery. Yeah, it's a bad thing. It's a shameful thing. My ancestors were Vikings. They took people as slaves. They were slaves themselves, on and off, back and forth. Kind of a human condition if you actually read history. I'm not taking anything away from anyone's struggle. I'm just saying it's not a race. It's actually just the brokenness of humanity. And the early church was made of such people. Maybe the culture was a little friendlier to people in indentured servitude back then. You know, There's lots of Jewish people around in those days, maybe, maybe because they did follow some parts of God's law once in a while. They gave people days off. I, I don't know. I do know that even in a slave culture in ancient times, that you had to give people time off or they would just fall over dead because they didn't have automation like we do. And so, like, literally, you're like, I have a 1,000 slaves who bring my crops off. Well, if you don't give them downtime, they will all die. And that was the reality then, and we actually don't live in that reality. And we don't even relate to that now because everything's automated. Well, it's no big deal. I just sent an email. You're not supposed to email anything today. You're, in fact, you weren't even supposed to look at your email today because your business is just fine because you trusted it to the Lord, remember? Some of you need to hear that. Okay? My, my point is, is the struggle's not new. It's just different. It's more sneaky now. Just a quick check on the phone, just a quick email, just a quick text, just, oh, it's ringing, but I'm just going to take this one call. Um, the church gathered on Sunday, not because it was the new Sabbath, but because it was the day of Jesus' resurrection. Don't confuse that. 
snow falling off the roof. The church gathered on Sunday to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, not because it was some new magical holy day. I don't even think they had a conversation about it, honestly. And maybe some biblical historian can correct me on this, and I'm more than willing to take correction, but I, I don't think it was a conversation. You know, what we need is to get rid of Saturday as the holy day, and we need to make Sunday the holy day, guys. I don't think that happened. I think the church just said that we're going to celebrate every single week the day that Jesus rose from the dead. This is amazing. I think it was that simple. So this is for those of you who come to church to rest. Maybe you're missing out on the greatest thing God has for you. I'm just going to let that settle in for a second. For those who come to observe and be fed and not really buy in, not really pitch in, I think you might be missing out on something really good. Get involved. This is not a social club. We often will tell people this. Welcome to Generations Church. We're glad you're here. It's no longer about you. Now, I know that might feel like a little bit of a slap, but just ask the Holy Spirit how your heart should feel about that. Pastor Trev hurt my feelings. Mm -hmm. I hurt a lot of people's feelings, even my own sometimes. <laughs> Some of you know me well. This isn't a social club. It's a mercy ship. It's an ark. It's for the lost to be found. It's for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. But most of all, most importantly, Sunday morning church is not a resting place, but a gathering place so that we can honor God. We came here to worship him. And if in the process of worshiping Jesus, someone moves a little closer to him, that is amazing. And if in the process of us worshiping him, you brought a friend and that friend says, you know what, I want to put my faith in Jesus, that is amazing. And if in the process of worshiping God today, somebody gets physically healed or emotionally healed, that is incredible. But there is no difference to God. For Jesus who says, what's easier, to say you are healed or your sins are forgiven, do you think the power of God is limited to a day of the week? Well, Sunday is the day of salvation. No, the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Now it springs forth. So every day is salvation, but Sunday is the day of the resurrection of Jesus. That's why we do church on Sunday. And it doesn't take anything away from the tradition, the principle, and the practice of taking Saturday and saying, this is the day God rested from all his labor. Maybe I should rest too. Um, here's, the, here's the amazing thing that as we um, oh boy, worship team, you can come back I'm going to try to pull this off in the next six minutes um, the, the, the miraculous thing that takes place here is as we minister to Jesus, as we minister as we worship as we sing praises, as we remind each other of his faithfulness, his goodness, and all the things he's done, 
we enter his rest. Because when you come to church, back uh, even before Jesus, when David, he wrote, I was glad when they said to me, let's go to the house of the Lord. Why? Well, because whenever we minister to God, whenever we come together to worship God, we quite literally are entering into his presence. We are entering into his rest. When Paul and Silas were in prison, as they began to praise the Lord, the earth began to tremble, and the shackles and chains that were holding them in that prison fell off. Why? Because when they worshipped, they entered his rest. And when they worshipped and entered his rest, they were being taken literally, this is so amazing, so miraculous, they were literally being taken out of a place of captivity. Do you see it? Entering his rest looks like walking into freedom. And this makes no sense in human wisdom, I understand that. But as we minister to God, we enter his rest. So, are you just lazy? Are you in need of a touch from Jesus? Which one is it? I don't know, Pastor Trav. I don't, I don't know what to think anymore. I could be lazy. I could just be showing up here at church being a fat baby getting fed cream every Sunday and not doing anything with it. Or maybe I'm actually really broken and I really do need a touch from God. I can't tell. That, my friend, is why we need the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. Because don't forget, it is powerful and it divides soul, spirit, joint, marrow. We lie to ourselves and to each other without him guiding us into what we need. We do a great disservice to the body of Christ and to our world when we don't take the time to let the Holy Spirit really examine. And remember when we started Hebrews chapter 4, it said nothing is hidden from God's sight and it is to him that you will finally be accountable. All right. Here's the, here's the final principle I want to leave with you today. And I've touched on this a few times, hinted at it a few times, but today is the day. Resting from or resting for. Now this was a very profound and powerful thing in my life just a month ago or two months ago. And I think it's the last piece we're going to tackle for today. But I believe it could change the way you live your life and it'll change the way that you see your week. Right back in the beginning, we know that God rested from his work on the seventh day. I've made no secret about that today. We haven't ignored the Bible where it says, and God rested from his work. But here it is in Genesis chapter 2. Verses 1 through 3. So the creation of the heavens and the earth and everything in them was completed. On the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation. So he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy because it was the day when he rested from all of his work of creation. I'm not hiding this. God rested from, and God wants you and I to rest from things too. He wants you to rest from your labors because he rested from his labors. There is no, we're not contesting that, but here is something very profound that I, that I begin to see. And I've never heard people preach on this before. One or two here and there now, but never in my life before the last few months have I seen people preach on this. I want to go to Genesis chapter 1. And we're not going to read verses 1 through 31, but there's a theme, and I'm going to just kind of buzz through it. So media people, I'm sorry for doing this to you, but I'm out of time. 
So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. The Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning one day. Well, then God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and separated the waters from the waters. God made the expanse and he separated the waters which were below the expanse from the waters which were above the expanse. And it was so. God called the expanse heaven and there was evening and there was morning a second day. Do you want to know what happened on the third day? God created and then there was evening and there was morning the third day. You want to know what happened on the fourth day? Just see if you can catch the theme with me here. The fourth day God created and at the end of that there was, somebody say it, evening and there was morning a fourth day did it stop on the fifth day no it didn't god created on the fifth day and at the end of his work on the fifth day there was evening and there was morning a fifth day and on the sixth day god created man in his image and there was evening and there was morning the sixth day pastor chav what are you going on about do you see it there was evening and there was morning. There was evening and there was morning. When does a day start? Anybody? Well, it starts at midnight, silly. It starts at midnight. 12 a.m. is literally the beginning of a new 24-hour period, right? I laugh at this because right now, secular humanists are working so hard to get rid of Anno Domini, A.D. They want to call it C.E., because they want, they want the association of the new calendar that we've had for the last couple thousand years. They want to do away with that because they don't want to recognize God. Yet in the construction of a 24-hour day, God says, no, 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 there was evening and there is morning, a day. I can't wait till they figure that out and then they got, they're going to lose their minds. Well, we can't have midnight be the start of a day because that's too lined up with the Bible. Okay, why does this matter? It matters because what I see everyone doing in our world, I see them, yes, sometimes resting at the end of the week, which is fine. We've already established that. But here's a major problem. If you go to bed tonight and you're resting from today, something is wrong. Because what God designed is that you lay your head down to rest tonight and you actually rest for tomorrow. Just think about this for a second. Don't, don't run too quick. We rest from some things, but then there's this part of the equation where we rest for something. Well, Pastor Trav, it doesn't seem that important to me. Here's why it's important to you. It's important that you understand when evening and morning is and how God constructed a day because God all along has had a plan on how he wants you to start a day. Evening, then morning. Evening, then morning. What if you went to bed for, for tonight saying, Lord, thank you for today. And now as I lay my head down and as I go to sleep tonight, I am now thinking, I'm changing, I'm shifting my thinking to what you have for me tomorrow. 
There are promises in the Word of God that have far more to do with your tomorrow than they have to do with your today. They have far to do, far more to do with tomorrow than they've had to do with your past. And if you can get your head around this and go to sleep tonight and wake up for tomorrow rather than resting from today, it will change the way you do your week. Lamentations 3, 33. 323, sorry, 22 and 23 says, The Lord's loving kindness indeed never cease, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. That's not a bad promise for when I wake up. Psalm 30, verse 5 His anger is but for a moment, his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may last for a night, but what? But his joy comes in the morning. The NASB says, but a shout of joy comes in the morning. I want you to know whose shout it is. It's his shout of joy. It's his shout of joy. It's his breath in our lungs, so we pour out our praise. The shout of joy comes from the Lord as we greet a new day. Psalm 90, verse 14. Lord, satisfy us in the morning with your graciousness that we may sing for joy and rejoice all our days. Do you understand that when you go to sleep tonight and you're resting for tomorrow, what greets you tomorrow morning when you wake up is the grace of God. And the grace of God when you open your eyes tomorrow is for tomorrow. It's not for today. And this actually does matter. Psalm 5 verse 3, in the morning, Lord, you will hear my voice. In the morning, you will hear my voice. In the morning, I will present my prayer to you and be on watch. The problem with resting the wrong way, when we don't have the right priority in the right place, is that we begin to live life from our past. And that doesn't work in God's economy and in God's plan. Your past is your past. But here's a promise. Old things have passed away and new things are coming. The day ends and a new day in Christ begins. When I lay down to sleep tonight, I am resting in his promise for my future. I'm not resting in my results from my past. Problem is that most people, what most people have with resting is that they're dealing with anxiety from their past. We say, no, pastor, I don't. I actually don't worry about my past. I just worry about my future. Hey, genius, why are you worrying about your future? if it's not because of what you've experienced in the past. Because those of us who have learned to trust God, to cease striving, to be still and know that He is God, those who cast their anxiety on Jesus, knowing that He cares for us, we're not thinking about our past, we're thinking about His promise and what that means tomorrow. When you go to sleep tonight, and you're resting from today. You're resting without faith. You're resting without trusting God. And you're actually resting on your past experience and all the anxiety that that brings. So if you can hear this, if you can see the principle, change is going to come to you. And I hope you can see it. Because it's just a little shift. There was evening and there was morning. God says to you today, there is evening and there is morning, but man, do my promises ever come for you in the morning.
We're going to sing one last song like we always do. And probably today is a day much more than most days where I want to invite you to seriously ask the Holy Spirit that question. God, what do you want to, what do you want me to do with what I've heard today? What do you want me to do? I heard a lot. Well, at least the pastor said a lot. What do you want me to do, God? So we're going to stand together and we're going to ask God to do that. And, and maybe you hardly ever pray. That's okay. Because we can loan you some faith this morning. And even if you're not used to talking to God, I want you this morning to take a risk and talk to God. Okay? Let's stand together. We're just going to ask the Holy Spirit. You pray it out loud. You can pray it in a whisper. That's fine. But let's just take a few seconds right now. Say, Holy Spirit, what do you want me to do with what I've heard today? How does it apply? Maybe most importantly, how would you like me to respond? And I have faith today that God will answer you and God will speak very clearly to you. Maybe you're here this morning and you do not have a relationship with the one who created you. Here's the gospel in a few seconds. You're a sinner. You have failed to keep God's law. And so the Bible says you're a sinner. But it's okay because Jesus came so that you could live again and not be dead in your sin. And what needs to happen for you to access that is you need to put your faith in Jesus, accept him not just as the person who saves you, but actually as the person who's the Lord, the boss of your life. And then working out of that change, repent from sin and follow what Jesus says. And I know that can be a big step and a big concept, so we're really happy to talk with you about that, what it looks like, what it means to answer questions. If that's you, when we sing this last song, I'd like you to come forward and talk with a member of our prayer team standing up by the stage here. Maybe you need healing in your body. Maybe you need healing in your marriage. This is a house of miracles. God has been saving marriages and healing people quite literally for some time now. I just don't want you to miss today. I don't want you to leave the way you came. And more importantly, I don't think Jesus wants you to leave this place the way you came. So Father, I ask now in the name of Jesus that you would give boldness to every heart to respond in a way that is honoring you, that is obedient to you today, God. And Lord, we want to worship you one last time this morning. Together, we want to bless your name, God. We want to establish your greatness and testify to how good you are in our lives. Thank you for joining us in another podcast from Generations Church. If you enjoyed listening today, please subscribe to our podcast channel to get a new one each week. For additional information or to partner with us, please check out our website at www.genchurch.ca.